Hi everyone, this is Denise Brown from caregiving.com. Welcome to our caregiving podcast, which is part of our caregiving podcast network. And on the last Friday of every month, we talk to my guest, Warren Abair about crucial caregiving conversations. And Warren is gonna join us in just a few moments. And today we're gonna focus on that crucial conversation about when you're having a bad day. How do you talk about it? How do you get what you need? And how do you say, I'm not getting what I need (laughs) when someone isn't giving you what you need? Just a couple quick updates about what's going on on caregiving.com. This is our Caregiving Visionary Award nomination voting period. We have 21 nominations for our annual Caregiving Visionary Award, and we'd love for you to cast your vote. So take a few moments when you can, meet our 21 nominees, and then cast your vote for your favorite. Voting ends at the end of the day on Monday, February 25th, so midnight Eastern time. After a long day, right? That's a long day. I want to mention that the Visionary Award honors individuals who become a beacon of hope for those who are in a current or previous caregiving situation. So our nominees could be currently caring for a family member and started a program and service to support and help family caregivers, or they might have gone through a caregiving experience, came out and said, you know what, that wasn't good, what I just went through, and I want it to be better for others. So they developed a product or service to make the days of caregiving easier for individuals. So again, our Caregiving Visionary Award nominees are posted on caregiving.com. You can read about them and vote for your favorite through midnight Eastern time on February 25th. And our contest for our logo for our National Caregiving Conference ends today. We have, I think there were seven submissions for our logo contest, which is great because last year we didn't have any. (laughs) So we have upped the ante with our logo contest. And I love our submissions. And I'd love for you to pick the one that you think best represents this year's National Caregiving Conference. Our logo contest ends tonight at midnight Eastern time. Take a moment when you can, go to caregiving.com, look at our logo submissions, and then vote for your favorite. And again, that ends midnight Eastern time tonight. I should mention that winners of our contests do receive different types of prizes. Our logo contest winner wins 100 bucks and free registration to our National Caregiving Conference in November. And then we award five Visionary Award winners, and they receive free registration to our conference as well, and then they receive additional promotion on caregiving.com. They'll join me on my podcast, and we'll feature them in video chats. And I just want to mention that our National Caregiving Conference this year is November 7th through 10th. This is our fourth year, and people are already booking their hotels, which is exciting and awesome. So if you're thinking about coming, I posted a budget for you on caregiving.com earlier this week to give you an idea of how much money it will cost to come to the conference. And we do what we can to keep it as affordable as possible. And I just submitted a grant yesterday to try to get money to award family caregivers in need cash prizes to come to the conference. So we do whatever we can to make it affordable for you, including if you can't come, because we understand that sometimes you just can't, we also broadcast two days of our conference. Okay, those are the updates for you. So let me tell you about our guest, Warren. He joins us on the last Friday of every month. We talk about crucial caregiving conversations. 
And Warren is an alumni, alumnus of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Executive Nurse Fellows Program. And he's also Chief Innovation Officer for a home health analytics company. He's also a family caregiver, home health nurse, nursing professor, and Executive Director of the Home Care Association of Louisiana. Good morning, Warren. Thanks so much for being with us today. Good morning, Denise. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, enjoy our conversations. The inspiration for today's show actually happened yesterday. I was talking to an individual who cared for her mom, and she wanted to start writing about her experience. And she said to me, I just write negative stuff. I'm trying to find the positive. I'm trying to spin it into something better, and I just write negative stuff. And I said, just write negative stuff. Oftentimes, you can't find the positive until you get the negative out. However, when we might be talking to others about our bad days, they may not actually give us that permission to just have a bad day. And I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about, really, how do we talk about our bad days? Because they happen. They happen regularly. We're doing our best, and still sometimes it can feel like the worst during a difficult day. I'd love for us to think about what's a bad day before we start the conversation about communication. Warren, how would you describe a bad day? Well, Denise, you know that I pride myself on trying to be in control. And I have a lot of friends of mine who always say, ah, oh, you know, even in the most tense situations, you, you know, you take a cool, calm approach to it. Well, this past week, um, I became the family caregiver from hell. Um, oh. My, uh, we, we were expecting uh, a call from a person who oversees our daughter's uh, caregivers. Uh, we happen to use self-directed care, but the company still sends somebody in on occasion, and the usual person was out on maternity leave. So we get, I get a voicemail from a woman who said, I've been trying to get in touch with your wife for over a month. She's not answering any of my calls, and we need to make sure that we're supervising y'all. So essentially, I, 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 that sounded, the voicemail sounded to me like a threat. So my yes. wife checked, she had gotten no voicemails. And so I picked up the phone and gave this woman a call and was taking my deep breathing, but she began to use the same tone with me. So when you ask, you know, what, what, what is a bad day? For me, a bad day is the day when I lose it. And, and, and I, I'm pretty hard on myself after I lose it. Well, I can go into um, a, 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 a very difficult conversation with someone in attack mode. And this woman was essentially attacking my wife who is always Brooks' staunchest advocate. And, and I'm feeling like, no, no, this is not going to happen. You're going to have a, a dignified conversation with us, but yet I wasn't having a dignified conversation myself. So, so for bad days for us as uh, family caregivers, our connection with that person who is the caree, to, to use your language, thank you, um, that care recipient, Essentially, we take that responsibility seriously, and most days we got it together. But I think one of the challenges we have, Denise, is that we keep it together and don't speak of those difficulties. And at some point, they add up. And when you get to that point where you just can't hold it anymore, you you, you may very well blow up. So essentially, that was the experience this other young woman, this young woman had on the other end of the phone from me. 
who was essentially saying that we weren't responding. And it was the first time we had ever heard her. We'd never met her before. She was new. But, but her, her, her tone was something, I think, that sort of got under my skin. So question about when we're having bad days, and we do, and it's important for us to admit it. And if we're healthy, we're going to recognize that we're not perfect. If we're healthy as caregivers, we're going to realize that, that it is not an easy thing to be a caregiver, and there are going to be times when you are going to have bad days, and yes, maybe even days when you become very upset. So getting it out, being able to talk about it, um, I, I like the fact that, you know, you mentioned the person writing it down. Uh, you know, one of the things that that I've experienced uh, over my work career, but also from some of the, the things we do around spirituality, is if you've got something that really is eating away at you, you you write it down and then you, you know, bring it outside and light a match to it or something like that. That's a, a healthy way of being able to let something go. You know, it's interesting. I really relate to your reaction or your response to, it sounds like it was a case manager that you hadn't yes. met. She decided right. who, you, who you are, who you and your wife right. are without knowing who you are. She made a judgment. She labeled you as basically non-compliant, which means, oh my gosh, we don't care. And that is so frustrating because, because it feels like she has erased decades <laughs> of advocacy and caring and being on top of stuff and making things happen. And that is incredibly frustrating. That is a bad day. So the people in the formal systems, um, like the case manager, uh, for that matter, um, you know, uh, for those of you that listen to the program with Denise and I, I've mentioned before, we have a 28-year-old daughter with Down syndrome. So also the people in the school system, and there are other places, there are people in the formal system, um, many, many of whom have family who has some sort of an exceptionality, or maybe has already dealt with a family member who has dementia or something else. In, in those cases, my experience has been that generally those people tend to be a little more understanding. But on the occasions that I experience someone who sort of pigeonholes us and, and has already identified themselves as the, the person on a white horse working with the government or the school system or whatever, oftentimes they feel that they know what's better for our family members than we do. And, and when I experience that sort of a kind of uh, power play by the person who's the, the official person, um, that generally is something I've always got to be aware of and conscious of because I've got to be a good advocate for my daughter. Um, I've got to be, uh, for that matter, a partner with my wife and what we're doing, even though she does 99% of the work of uh, my daughter's book. Uh, we still have to be, be in lockstep and working together. But, um, but, but yes, that, that really was something that, as you said, this person had sort of, sort of told us, stereotyped us. And when I called her, I, I don't pull out the doctor card very often. But when I called her, I said, this is Dr. Warren Ebert, and I am calling to talk with you about my daughter because you want to meet with us related to the care she's receiving 
from her direct support workers. And, uh, you know, the doctor thing didn't scare her at all. She she went straight into her unincharged sort of mode, and you can listen to me, and that was when, uh, when, when, when I lost control. So the fact that we're having this conversation today is very timely for me because it gives me an opportunity to reflect on what I might do differently. Because that sort of thing essentially has the potential to harm the relationship between the case managers and, and my daughter's care. Um, but, but the reality is, gee, I didn't have time to think about it. It was, it was like she started attacking and I just went right back after her. Yeah, absolutely. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? When we're attacked, we defend, especially when there's an attack on yeah. people that are precious and treasures to us who we love dearly. How could you not defend them? Yeah. And as you were talking, yeah. I was wondering, how, how do we manage these situations going forward? Because we all experience them where afterward it feels like the day gets worse because we start to beat ourselves up about it as well. So it almost feels like, oh, my gosh, I was defending my family, and now I feel like I, I was a jerk about it or I shouldn't have said it the way I did or I, I bought into her, her garbage. Oh, no. I, you know, you, and then you just start to worry about what's the damage to the relationship, right? How do we keep moving forward with her? We, we need to have a good relationship with her. So as you think about this, how will you manage the relationship with her going forward and her being the case manager? So, so we'll start with that, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we, how we um, you know, handle things ourselves um, and, and be prepared for those things. So, so the first thing I did is, um, you know, is to let her know that, uh, you know, I appreciated the fact she had some concerns we were worried that our uh, uh, benefit might be in danger, and I let her know from the very um, high volume of our conversation back and forth on both sides uh, that I would be touching base with her office the following day, and you know, no matter how things turned out, it was probably best that we, we have a different case manager come out, and we did, and that just went well, uh, but, but it, it as you said, you got to manage the relationship going forward. Fortunately, we've been with this particular case management company for um, 15 years, and we know one another well, and they know us, and they've been in our house a lot. It's just this brand-new person. The second thing that I would say is, is you talk about how to manage this on a day-to-day. Um, we talk, Denise, a lot about resilience, and we talk a lot about our being in a good place. Um, and the fact that we need to occasionally, um, you know, feed our own souls, so to speak, recharge our batteries, uh, recalibrate. The family caregiver for the person who has accepted this role, and generally the person who's last on the list of taking care of is themselves. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that I do is I try to get away out in nature on a regular basis, even if it's for a few hours, I'm calling, uh, you know, I call this weekend. Uh, the podcast is happening. I'm sitting in my favorite state park uh, looking out onto the lake. It is foggy here this morning in, in South Louisiana uh, in, in a beautiful lake. We've seen waterfowl this morning. So, so, again, whatever it is that you as a caregiver can do to recalibrate and feed your soul. Sometimes it's just going out for a movie. Sometimes, you know, some people like to go bowling. Anything that we can do to put ourselves in a better place. 
but the other thing is not just taking a break once in a while, but doing something on a daily basis. Um, a lot of people that I've heard speak about family caregiving and written about it talk about mindfulness um, and meditation. Uh, I happen to be Catholic, and I have to call it centering prayer. Otherwise, they'll boot me out of the church. But just kidding. Um, but the, 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 point, the point is whatever we can do on a daily basis to, to sort of reflect and recenter ourselves. Hopefully, if you're doing that well as a caregiver, then there will be fewer situations where you are having a bad day. But you don't want to be unrealistic in your goals and say, gee, I don't want to have any bad days. Uh, I don't know of any caregivers that, that ever pull that off. Uh, because there are things that are out of your control. Absolutely. I started thinking about compassion fatigue last year, and I decided that compassion fatigue is this umbrella term and that we have to be specific about what we grow tired of, what wears us out. I have a webinar series on caregiving.com that's free that people can watch. Each webinar is 30 minutes or less, and it looks at a specific emotion that we get tired of. And there's one that's about grace fatigue. And we're not tired of a girl named Grace. We're tired of being gracious to people. And your situation with the case manager is an example where you just get weary of trying to be gracious to people who make life tough, make it harder. And the webinars lead you through exercises that you can use to heal and feel better. In essence, it's about building that resiliency by taking some time to figure out, what am I really tired of? What do I want to focus on today that just feels awful? I'm just weary of it. And then you can move forward with the webinar to work through with some exercises with me to help you heal from it. Because I do think that we need to figure out what is it that's really weighing us down. And it's not just compassion. I think it has to be more specific. Compassion fatigue sometimes feels too big. What is it? And then to focus in on Okay, today I'm tired of supporting. Today I'm just really tired of coping. I've lost hope. I'm tired of trying to find hope. All those things are areas that we just grow weary of during caregiving. I, I really um, think people need to, to think about that term a bit. You know, um, the, the fatigue that we deal with is real, and nobody's immune from it. So no. I really like that. And, and, Denise, these videos are at your website, which is caregiving.com? Yep. And if you just hover over Great. our content, there's a drop-down menu, and then one of the options is webinars. And if you just hover over webinars, you'll see, I think it's called the Family Caregiver Fatigue Series. And right now I think there's eight different videos, webinars, with exercises that I lead you through with more that are coming out this year. And I will say we, that we, I feel better when I go through those webinars. I mean, they work for me, too. So, Because you just get tired of certain things. You just get tired of being the one that has all the answers. That's another one that you just get, oh, man, can't you go to someone else for the answer? <laughs> I'm just tired of being the answer. And there's so many different resources. And that's one of the things, um, you know, we mentioned before, I, I do a weekly radio program on radiomaria.usa. And uh, radio program, and it's also lots of archives there. But every week I talk about the fact that there are so many resources. Um, yesterday I was reading an article uh, related to isolation of the caregiver. And uh, the fact that, that we are getting ready to 
hear more about the RAISE Family Caregiver Act, and that acronym in the federal government is recognize, um, assist, inform, support, and engage family caregivers. The fact that the, uh, the formal uh, uh, health care community has ignored family caregivers for decades, and more than ignored the family caregivers, sometimes there's animosity. Physicians Absolutely. are certainly... Uh, aren't always happy that somebody's coming in with something from the internet and other things, you know, as a nurse, I can say that sometimes in various care settings, the family uh, nurses feel like the family gets in the way sometimes. Um, Absolutely. The challenge that we've got as as caregivers is, is to find a way to have these crucial conversations and learn some, some tips and maybe some prompts related to what we can do to, to be concise in the way that we respond, to make sure that we're doing our best to take the emotion out of it, easier said than done, but, but to find a way to, to, to redirect those folks who somehow or another may be seeing themselves in a position of power and authority over us as a caregiver, rather than seeing us yeah. as a partner. The, the Raise Family Caregiver Act uh, language and, in fact, health policy is going to be written across the continuum of care so that it is mandatory now, will be mandatory that the health providers recognize and engage and support that family caregiver. So at that point, it's still going to be a while before we manage to get that happening well because it's going to take those who are in my profession in nursing, uh, physicians, and others to to recognize the family member as a partner because at this point, across the continuum of care, Uh, I'll just say there are exceptions, but for the most part, we're not there. I was talking to a family caregiver earlier this week, and she was talking about being in the silo. She was the only one. She was really feeling like there was no one else out in the world that was experiencing what she was experiencing. And she finally climbed her way out of the silo and then realized, oh, my gosh, there are all these communities on social media, online and in my community. I need to connect with them. It's interesting to think about catching the family caregiver before they go into the silo because that's what happens. You just get, I don't know if the word oppressed is correct, but there's something about it that just puts you in the silo because you feel like I have to do all this. I'm the one that has bad luck. I'm the one that has to manage this and there isn't help. And I think part of that message comes from being involved in the healthcare system because in the healthcare system, there is not help for the family caregiver. There is no way for a healthcare system to recognize and offer support for family caregivers, even though it could be just an easy one page list of resources for them. The key is to catch the family caregiver before it go into the silo to connect them to support. I think your word oppression, your word oppression is, is a very strong word, but I think it fits. I really think it fits. And, and with regards to that silo, uh, we come back to the word isolation. Um, a couple of studies, number one related to the oppression, is a Scandinavian study that indicated that those of us in healthcare professions think in a hierarchical manner. And generally, the patient and the family are not near the top of the hierarchy. No, so not at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that word oppression really fits. The second 
second item is related to isolation. Uh, again, recent studies show that isolation and, and loneliness is a great indicator of morbidity and mortality. Then 15 cigarettes a day are having more than six alcoholic beverages a day. So if, if you're going to experience loneliness, the likelihood that you're going to die early is greater than if you're smoking and drinking a lot. So yeah. for me, that, yeah. that issue of isolation is not only the person who is experiencing the illness, but we know that the family caregiver experiences isolation as well. So you're hitting the nail right on the head. If we can find a way to engage them early on in the caregiving experience so that they know there is a community of support, so, so that we, we, we find a way to engage the healthcare professionals in a way that they begin to think differently rather than seeing the patient and the patient's family as a problem, they need to recognize that they're partners. And that, and that if they engage, then the outcome is going to be better. And when we say outcomes being better, we're always thinking about the patient. But now we've got to think about the outcomes being better for the family caregiver because of all of the potential health issues that go around, not only with regards to isolation, but a lot of the stress and distress. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention is I read an article yesterday related to joy in the family caregiving experience. Actually, it wasn't yesterday. It was early this morning. And it was related to uh, dementia and the fact that, that this husband and wife had found a way, uh, instead of Alzheimer's, uh, I think the nickname they used was Allie. And any time mm. he would misstate something and she would redirect him, um, you know, he would laugh and he said, that's Allie talking. There's not just two of us living in our house. Now there's a third person. So they've identified the dementia by, by a different name. And as a result, they find a way to put a humorous perspective on some of the challenges he's dealing with with dementia. Obviously, easier said than done. But in this particular article, it was obvious that this, this woman and her husband, who is in early stages, uh, found a way to put this into a different perspective than all being about pain and difficulty. They found a way to put a little humor on it. So again, going back to to our bad days and how we can maybe deal with those better. In this particular case, obviously it's just one couple, but, but they found a way to bring humor into it. And as a result, a little bit of joy. That's interesting. They actually created a relationship with a disease process, which in essence eliminated the fear of it. They talked about it. It was part of their day. It wasn't something to avoid or feel shame about. It was just what it is was just what it is. And, and, Warren, yeah, oh, and, go and ahead. The way you just said that is, is, is it's obvious to me, too, that they are identifying the dementia and the Alzheimer's as a condition he has rather than identifying him with the dementia yes. and Alzheimer's. Yes, as, yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, wow, yeah. This was great, Warren. Thank you so much. For our listeners who'd like to catch your radio show, tell us again how they can listen and when it airs. Uh, the program is Family Caregiving. Uh, it's on RadioMaria.us. US is a is a sort of strange. Usually we got .coms and .orgs and .edu, but .us, RadioMaria.us. Uh, it's a Catholic radio station, and for the most part, the programming there is about uh, spirituality, scripture, prayer, and that. But within its mission, 
is to have people uh, identify issues around social uh, needs and, and human needs and human interests. So family caregiving on RadioMaria.com. The program is live 4 to 5 on, on Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Central, uh, 5 to 6 Eastern. Uh, but you can also find archives at RadioMaria.us and uh, dot, dot, uh, US, RadioMaria.us, and then go to Archives for Family Caregiving. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Warren. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great time. Thanks, Denise, and we appreciate all you do. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. For more information about our podcast, to listen to our archives, and to to connect to our community of support, please visit caregiving.com. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.